Acts, chapter 2, and I'll be reading from verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the, heaven, in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge with you and you. With the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Thank you, uh, Connie. Let's, um, friends, let's come to God in prayer as we look at his word together this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, Lord, today. We thank you, Lord, for your deliberate plan, plan of salvation revealed to us in the scriptures. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you draw us closer to you, Lord, that our faith will be strengthened in you, that you bless the preaching and proclamation of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, what are your plans for life? I'm sure, I'm sure you have some kind of plans for your life. Last week I was speaking to someone who is working in the financial industry. He's a financial planner. And he said to me, it was actually at the men's convention. He said to me, Chris, do you have a financial plan when you retire? Well, I'm not planning to retire right now at that age as yet. But he said, do you have a financial plan? And I said, no, I don't have a plan as yet. So he pulled out his wallet pull out his card and gave it to me, Chris, come and see me. You'll talk about your financial plans. Well, perhaps you do. You have a financial planner that you see regularly. I know one of my friends, one of my colleagues, visits a financial planner regularly, and he knows exactly, perhaps, what's happening with the financial markets and so forth. We have plans, don't we? Plans, perhaps, when you retire, you want to go out to the beach area, lay down at the beach, sit back, relax, chill out, and enjoy your life, perhaps. 
Or maybe you have other plans. Uh, if you're a young person, you might have plans, well, by God's grace, one day to be married, to settle down in life. All of those kind of things. It's good to have plans. The Bible calls us, calls us to make plans. But we know that many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is only God who directs all those plans. Well, what about God's plan? Is there a plan for this world that we are living in? What is God's plan for mankind? Is there a plan that God has revealed to us in the scriptures? Are we just living our lives every day? You get up and you think, wow, it's another new day. This is the first of June. Very soon we'll be, there'll be Christmas stuff out there in the marketplaces. Right? And the days are going very quickly. The years are moving on. And life is moving on. And some of us are getting older by the moment. Well, is there a plan? Is, is there a plan that God has for this world? Well, friends, yes. And this morning, we are going to look at God's deliberate or definite plan that has been revealed to us and most specifically stated in the passage before us today in Acts chapter 2, 14 to 28. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the significant event of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We looked at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the 120 disciples who had met in Jerusalem after the, after the ascension of Jesus, waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Acts uh, chapter 2 this morning. And so we read, for example, in Acts chapter 1 and in verse 4, we read this, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And as promised, according to God's deliberate plan, the Holy Spirit was poured out ten days after his ascension. That is, the ascension of Jesus. And we noted that with the coming of the Holy Spirit, there were three specific signs or symbols that accompanied the coming of the Holy Spirit. The first was a sound like a mighty rushing wind that came from heaven. The second was one of divided tongues of like fire that set upon them. And the third was the speaking with other or foreign languages. And we see that the outcome of this was that the Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to speak in languages they had never ever learnt. And we read of that in chapter 2 verses 4 onwards. And then in response to this we read in chapter 2 that the people were amazed, verse 12, amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? And then some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Verse 13. So these people, friends, had come to Jerusalem to commemorate Pentecost. They were perplexed and they heard the disciples speak in different language and asked one another, what does this mean? They had just witnessed an extraordinary event, something that was spectacular. The number of nations, approximately about 15 nations mentioned here. And they heard their own languages. And they heard something else. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And so they accused the disciples, the apostles, of being intoxicated. Well, friends, were they? Were they drunk? 
Where Peter responded to their charge. Peter stood up and commentators say this, that he raised his voice, that is, he began to preach. Now there are some people who say, well, preachers from time to time must raise their voices to make their point clear. There's a passing comment, all right? So uh, he stood up and he raised his voice and he preached his first sermon. What did this sermon actually look like? What was Peter actually trying to communicate You see, Peter's Pentecost sermon, if you look at Acts chapter 2, we see that this is the first Christian sermon preached after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. In that sense, one could say that it is the mother of all sermons. Now think about Peter for a moment. What do we know about this guy, Peter? Think about Peter. Just think. You know, Peter was a guy who internally battled his doubt and failures in life. There were times that he really struggled following Jesus. Do you struggle following Jesus? Are there questions that come into your mind at times? Do you wonder about what is going on in your own life? The struggles of the flesh, the weakness of the flesh, the battles in following Christ. It is a battle, is it not? And, and, and Peter was struggling. He was internally battled with his own doubts and failures. For example, in Matthew chapter 14, 22 to 33, I won't read that section, uh, where Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink and he cried, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached to him and took him and said to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? So Peter was struggling with doubt. Again, we look at Peter, for example, when uh, when Jesus said this, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, far be it from you. You can't do this. Get thee behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus said. And then we know that Peter denied Christ how many times? Three times. Now this is Peter. Just, just want to put that picture before us this morning. But look at Peter now in Acts chapter 2. What has happened to this man? And immediately, we know that when Peter denied Jesus three times, the rooster crowed and Peter went outside and wept bitterly. But now we are in Acts chapter 2. He is filled with the Spirit. He is an empowered man and he preaches a sermon that sets the stage for the sermons that will follow in the book of Acts. Dr. Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on on the book of Acts, speaks of four things in Peter's sermon. He says this, and he says this is should be the paradigm for all sermons. He says this, firstly, that this sermon is Bible-centered. When you hear the Bible being preached in a church, you must ask the question, is the sermon Bible-based? Is the preacher preaching from the scriptures? If he is not... What's the question marks? The Bible should be preached in the church. This sermon is an expository sermon. He takes his hearers to the word of God with Old Testament references. There is a thread in this sermon which connects the Old Testament and the New New Testament. The second thing in this sermon we see is that it is Christ-centered. It is rich in its Christology. It speaks of the work of Christ as we will see in a moment. 
The third thing we see in this sermon was that Peter was fearless when he communicated this message. Why? Because it was in Jerusalem that Jesus was crucified. And now Peter preaches about this crucified Savior right in Jerusalem. Fearless. The fourth thing, this sermon was preached with reason. He rationalized with his people. He reasoned with their thinking. He challenged them. He brought them to the scriptures. He brought them to the Old Testament. He put the claims of Christ. And he made them start to think. Because later on and next week we will see. When the people heard this sermon. They were cut to the heart. And they cried and they said. What must we do brothers? So Peter stood with the eleven. Raised his voice. And began to preach. And he said, these guys are not drunk. This is only the prophecy that has been fulfilled by the prophet Joel. You look at the scriptures here. You see that in Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he points it to the prophecy of Joel, chapter 2, 28 to 32, which predicted, according to God's deliberate plan... The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That was God's plan. You see, Joel prophesied a day when the Holy Spirit would be given to all of the Lord's children, no matter their age, their social class, or gender. And here in Acts chapter 2 is witnessed the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel chapter 2. Now what do we know about Joel? Very quickly. We don't know too much about this guy, but he prophesied during a difficult time. The nation had turned against God. There was discipline from God in the form of locusts who came upon the old land. It was a terrible time for the nation. God's judgment had come upon them. God's discipline had come upon them. And God calls the people to repentance through the prophet Joel. God had pity on his people. Look at Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, 18, 19. Again, we see God's concern for the people. And he does not leave them without any hope. Our God is a God of hope. When God calls people to repentance and he disciplines them, he also gives them a message of hope. He does not leave his people in the doldrums. He raises them up. He gives them a message, a comeback message. Because in the book of Joel, he says, come back to me. Return to me. Repent. And no wonder Joel says this. Peter also says it. For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not just Israel, but anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And so Peter quotes Joel chapter 2 in this passage, in Acts 2, to remind the people that in the last days, this is what will happen. And so, friends, we are today living in the last days. Right? We are living in the last days. We are living now in the last days. You see, living in the last days means... That the next great event or act of God is the great and terrible day of the Lord that is referred to in verse 20. Which is the second coming of Jesus. We are in the final days of preparation for the great day. And history as we know it will be over one day. 
That is God's plan. So we ought not to be surprised when we put on our TVs and we hear of wars, we hear of suffering, we hear of people going through hardships in their lives, we hear of killings, of violence. These are things that are taking place in the last days. Now you might say this morning, Chris, Oh man, these last days, how long has it been? When will Jesus return? How long? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know when Jesus is going to come. No one knows. But the Bible does tell us that he is going to return. And we are having the Lord's Supper today. We will celebrate the sacrament. But a day is coming when we will not celebrate the sacrament anymore. We will feast with Christ for eternity. But until Saturday comes, we celebrate the sacrament. It reminds us of what Christ has done. You see, we are living in the last days. And Joel prophesied about 800 BC. Put it together with the time framework here. About 900 years prior to the experience that the Spirit will be poured out. And God kept His promise according to His deliberate plan. He he kept His word. And then Peter says here, if you look at your your Bibles in Acts chapter 2, I saw the Lord, he says this, uh, he says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Now what, what are we to make of this, friends? You see, when Joel and Peter say this, that young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams, what they have in mind, I think, are dreams and visions about the spread of the kingdom of God. Right? One evidence of this, I think, is this. That in the rest of the book of Acts, all the dreams and visions are given for a missionary strategy. For example, Ananias in, chap- in Acts chapter 9 had a vision to go and commission Paul for his great missionary work. Peter in Acts chapter 10 had a vision to carry the gospel and the spirit to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16 had a vision of Europeans calling him saying, come into Macedonia and help us. So when the Spirit comes in fullness, that is what will happen for the young and the old. We have a beautiful picture here of both young and old. We have that in our congregation. The oldest member here, the youngest member here, young and old together. Dreaming visions of seeing the kingdom of God expand and extend. I think that's what we have here. But then, who am I to limit God in giving visions to people in terms of their conversion experiences? We hear of that as well. Particularly in the Middle East. Visions of who Christ is. You see, so the language here in Acts chapter 2, 19 to 20, is also one of judgment. The warning is clear. There is a day of final judgment coming. It is a day in, when the nations will be placed in front of him. It is a day when all the peoples will be judged. And so you look at the scriptures here. He's warning us of a final judgment, an everlasting judgment. And so the day of the Lord of salvation has come in Jesus. And the outpouring of the Spirit is evidence of that. But there is another day of the Lord, a day of judgment, which is yet to come. And so the invitation of the Lord goes out through Joel, through the Apostle Peter, strong words of warning, but an invitation to all who call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. See, this is a warning as well. 
say, this, my dear friends, this is why we do gospel work. <laughs> see, this is why we share the gospel. Because if people don't know Christ, they are going to face a Christless eternity. You see, they won't know what it means to have eternal life. But today is the day of salvation. And so Peter brings this out and he says, according to God's deliberate plan, he poured out the Spirit. He sent his Son now into the world as we will see. And so call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's what it is. And now Peter says, if you are to understand the events of Pentecost Day, it's very interesting. Peter doesn't go, uh, go on in his sermon to explain the work of the Spirit here. You would think he would do that. <laughs> but if you look at Acts chapter 2, his immediate transition is about Jesus. You look at the scriptures there, it's very clear because he says, Men of Israel, verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God. Listen to this. And so we want to look at that this morning. Of Jesus. You know Jesus, he says. He did miracles. He did signs. He did wonders. What are some of the miracles that Jesus did? Come on. Anyone? Give me one miracle. Then water into wine. Another one. Heal the paralytic. Raised up Lazarus. Fed the 5,000. He brought healing. I mean, these are the miracles that Jesus did. He raised the dead. I mean, how is it possible? Lazarus come forth. You know, the Bible tells us, and one commentator makes this point, if Jesus didn't say, mention the name Lazarus, come forth from the dead, all the dead would have come out. He said, Lazarus come forth. That's the power of God. Working in his son Jesus. And if Peter is saying to these guys, listen men of Israel, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs. What happened? Which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. You, you have seen it. You have heard it. You have seen the, the dead man getting up, dead man getting up and walking. You've seen the paralytic being healed. You've seen the man who was demon possessed being, being depossessed from his demons. You've seen the miracles. But God has done. You've seen the signs. You've seen the wonders. And God in doing these things, Peter says, is attesting his son, is giving accreditation to what Jesus has done and stamping his authority in Christ by saying, now this is my son. Remember Nicodemus, um, Greg Matthews preached on Nicodemus last week. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Why? For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. See, and Peter doesn't stop there, does he? This man, he says, verse 23, was handed over to you. How? How was he handed over to you? Look at your text here. By God's deliberate plan. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Now friends, this is here a challenge for us, isn't it? Peter says that you together with wicked men nailed Jesus to the cross. 
Peter says that by lawless hands, you meant to destroy Jesus, but despite your intentions, God was working out his plan. You see, you meant to destroy Jesus, but God was honoring him. And however, he reminds them and us today that this nailing of Jesus to the cross was part of God's plan. Now my question to you this morning is, how can the two meet? Why did God, a loving father, let his son suffer at the hands of cruel men? Why? Why did Jesus have to suffer so much? Why was Jesus crucified? Why did the sovereign God allow his son to be nailed to the cross? And I want to suggest to you, friends, this morning, that this concurrence or this simultaneous working of God and men to bring about God's purpose with the crucifixion is hard to perhaps comprehend. We see a paradox here between divine providence and human responsibility. Human responsibility must be placed on those who killed Jesus. No excuse for that. However... (laughs) However, at the same time, look at your text here. At the same time, we see the sovereign foreordination of God and he brings his will to pass with the crucifixion of his son because if he had not permitted it, then he is not God. You see, God planned that his son should be crucified so that his purposes will be fulfilled. God brought to pass the cross. Jesus was delivered by God's determined plan. Hard to understand? Yes, wicked men did it. But God used it and brought it together somehow with the hands of wicked men and his foreordained plan met together in Christ. You see a paradox here? It's hard, isn't it? He uses the wickedness of evil men to yet fulfill is foreordained plan. Remember Joseph? He said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He takes our broken circumstances, things that go wrong in our lives at times, that doesn't make sense to us, and somehow his plan and purposes are achieved in it all. That's what we see here. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Romans 8, 32. It says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So friends, this morning, the cross stands at the very center of the Christian gospel. The gospel is a message of good news. Jesus died as your substitute at the cross. It is a dreadful thing, the Bible says, to fall into the hands of the holy God. But the wrath of God for sin has been paid. Last Sunday night, John was preaching on 1 John chapter 1, and he spoke about propitiation and all of the aspects of Christ taking upon himself the wrath of God for sin. Standing in our place, which we could never have stood. And he by being nailed according to God's determined plan, took your place and mine at the cross, so that you and I will not face the wrath of God for sin anymore. Are you glad? (laughs) Are you rejoicing with that this morning? You see, this is what God has done for a poor beggar like me, that Christ has died on the cross to give me 
A sonship with the Father. To be called His child. To be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. To be restored to a living God. To be cleansed once and for all. Justified through the blood of Jesus. Nailed to the cross. Done. That's what Peter is saying. It's all about Jesus here. But then, we'll quickly move on. Peter says this, isn't it? But God, you see, nailed him to the cross. If Jesus died and was buried, and that was it, forget it. We might as well not sing anything this morning. We don't have any music, nothing. But Jesus, what happened to him? Look at your text here. What's it saying, friends? Look at it. But God, verse 24, raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why? Why, 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 why? I was reflecting upon this this morning. You see, what's the wages of, uh, the wages of sin is, what is it? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Now, think for a moment. Jesus was sinless. Alright, this is important. You and I will die, that's it. With Christ, he was sinless. The wages of sin is death. But with Jesus, death is not the end for him because he did not sin. He cannot see decay. And this is exactly what David prophesied in Psalm 16 that Harry read for us this morning. We don't have time to exposit that whole psalm this morning. You can go home and read it. In Psalm 16, David, was, was he speaking about himself? Of course not. You know, Peter is saying, go and see, there's David's tomb is somewhere here in Jerusalem. <laughs> go and see for yourself. But David was speaking about whom? Hundreds of years before, he was speaking of Jesus. He will never see decay. You see, Christ has conquered the grave. I saw the Lord always before me. Your Holy One will not see any decay. Here's a prophetic psalm, friends. So we worship the living Christ. David predicted this about thousand years before the event. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, another prophecy, according to God's plan, was fulfilled. So God can be trusted this morning. As we wind our message this morning. For us today, we praise God for His deliberate plan in giving us His Son so that we might know the joy of being forgiven. You see, if you're a Christian here this morning, I encourage you, I encourage you to rejoice, to thank God for what he has done for you. Come to this supper and say, Lord, thank you. As I eat the bread, as I drink the juice, I think about what you have done for me. If you're not a Christian here this morning, then today, the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You will be saved from the coming wrath. And God will call you to be his child. And seal you with his spirit for eternity. So if you are not a Christian here this morning, you are struggling with the issues of doubt. And that is quite understandable. But you are trying to figure out in your mind, oh, what is this thing going on? What is the gospel? Come and see us after the service. We would love to talk to you about it. And then friends, another thing as we apply this text is this. That if you are a Christian, then I want to encourage you to take a few moments to reflect on God's deliberate plan to send His Son to redeem you as a person. And ask the question, what does it mean to you this morning 
that Jesus was handed over to be crucified according to God's foreordained deliberate plan. What does Jesus mean to you? Do you love him? When's the last time you were able to say, Lord, I'm, I'm, when I say you, I'm putting myself in. When's the last time we were able to sit down and say, Lord, I really love you for all that you have done for me. I don't deserve, I don't deserve a thing. But your grace, amazing grace, has saved me. And I want to live my life for you. And finally, friends, what a blessing in the text here this morning. (laughs) That because Christ has been raised from the dead, we have a living Savior who walks with us day by day, moment by moment, with all our anxieties and all our fears and all our frustrations can be put to him. Say, Lord, I am trusting you. Take my hand, Lord, and lead me on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have seen your deliberate plan being worked out marvelously through centuries of prophecy being fulfilled. Today, may each of us reflect upon what Christ has done for us, that he was handed over according to your deliberate purposes to wicked men, been nailed to the cross, but death could not keep him. He's been raised to to, to give us eternal life. Father, I pray this morning, there's anyone here who does not know Christ, may today be the beginning of a new day. And for us to know you, Lord, strengthen our faith in you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper.